With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning in. Equity Bank sponsored podcast today where we have Jared Young on the show. He's a president and CEO at Employer Advantage, an HR outsourcing firm based in Joplin, Missouri. Prior to joining EA in 2015, Jared practiced corporate law at a large law firm in Washington, D.C. He also worked in the healthcare IT industry before attending law school. He holds a BA in Middle East Studies at Arabic from Brigham Young University. He actually lived in Jordan, too. We talked about that. He has a Juris Doctorate from Harvard Law School, and this was a really fun conversation. Again, it validates a lot of the stuff we talk about on Dose of Leadership. I love this particular conversation because Jared's really young. He's only 34. He's a president CEO. He got to that position relatively quickly. And so it was interesting to get into his mindset and talk about how he, the self, uh, conscious, how self-conscious he was in that role. He was 28 when he joined the company. You know, in the average age of where he worked, guys are 65. And he became the CEO in his 30s. And talking about that aspect of it is very interesting to me. And I think you'll find that interesting as well, how he worked through that self-consciousness and that limiting belief, if you will. And it goes down to that humble, teachable spirit, right? Having that teachable spirit, having that intensity of will. That's what gets you through those types of situations. And through authenticity and through love, as he points out in here, he gained the respect of his team. And that's what it's about. It's not being this caricature of a leader. It's about being authentic. And Jared drives that point home. It was really fun. I love his, too, intentionality behind culture. Another thing that I love talking about. And we go into his company values. And what I love about him and uh, they're listed as number one, kindness. Second one's honesty, integrity. Third one's exceptional and proactive service. The fourth one's accountability. And the last one's continuous improvement. And you look at those five, there's nothing magical about those or you know exotic about those values. They're rather simplistic, and that's the beauty behind it. And uh, where it really kicks off or where it really drives home is near the end of the last two-thirds of this conversation where Jared talks about his company values. And you can just – you can hear his passion for these, uh, particularly around kindness. And I think for me that was the, the great moment of the conversation. So I think you'll find it equally engaging and you'll get some nuggets out of that. Those were the things I took away from it. I'd love to hear what you think about it too. So reach out to me at doseofleadership.com, richard at doseofleadership.com. Uh, to give me the feedback and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast application. If it's Apple Podcasts, make sure you subscribe and uh, you'll get notifications every time a new episode comes out. And it's through that subscription and through those ratings and reviews that keeps that algorithm and keeps us front and center 
and as a top 20 business podcast in iTunes. I do appreciate your support. This show is brought to you by our friends at Equity Bank. So honored to have them be part of this uh, certain episodes here on Dose of Leadership for the past two years. Going on 50 episodes with them, sponsored by Equity Bank. They're a team that knows what it takes to start and grow a business. It's been so fun and exciting to watch them grow into one of the fastest growing banks in the Midwest. They are now listed on the NASDAQ exchange and has locations all across Kansas, as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. And I personally know that they have plans to expand well beyond that. And so clearly the team at Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth. And so if it feels like your current bank is more a follower than a leader and you want to work with a bank that really understands your needs, what it means to be a leader, what it means to be an entrepreneur, then check out my friends at Equity Bank. Go to equitybank.com to learn more. Thank you so much for listening. Now let's join our conversation with Jared Young here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Jared, uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Thanks. Glad to be here. Well, I'm excited to learn more about Employer Advantage and, and really your leadership philosophy. It seems like, um, looking at your background, man, you've, you've, you've done a lot of things, and now you're the president of, of Employer Advantage. Traveling the world, working in various branches of government, learning multiple language. Arabic, is that right? Did I get that right? You understand? You- yeah, Arabic was my, my undergrad is in Arabic. Wow. Well, let's talk, let's talk a little bit about how we got to Employer Advantage. What was the kind of, um, as you're going through school and working, what was your dream at the time? I can tell you my dream was not to end up in Joplin, Missouri. <laughs> right. um, yeah. But uh, I don't know. My I guess my my dream kind of evolved. Um, but by the time I got through law school, um, I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer. And so I had to figure out what I wanted to do. So I, I went into corporate law for a little while, but I was looking for a chance to um, pivot to the business side of things because I decided that's what I was really interested in and uh, had a, a cousin in DC where I was working um, who had a happened to have a father-in-law that was had founded a business a long time ago and was looking for some help, uh, some young blood to get into the business to kind of start with a succession plan. And um, he lured me out to the Midwest and I guess we haven't looked back. How long, um, so how long has that been? How long have you been in, in Missouri? Five years. Five years. So prior to that, you were working in various branches of government and you were doing, again, was, was it mainly um, – as an attorney, as a what was it doing? What were you doing in government? So I, I worked before law school um, in the private sector, uh, actually in the healthcare IT sector. But then during law school and after law school, I actually thought I thought government was what I wanted to go into, and that's actually part of the reason I studied Arabic in, in my undergrad as well. Just, um, I thought government was the route I wanted to go. But as I got more experience in government, I I realized um, I didn't think that was going to be for me. And why was that? What what did you see there that just that turned you off to it? I think, you know, I worked with a lot of great people and uh, saw a lot of really interesting things, but the the kind of lockstep advancement structure of most of the government uh, offices uh, wasn't very appealing to me. I, I saw people that had been there for 30 years. And it, it seemed like if you wanted to get anywhere, you had to be there for 30 years. Right. And there was no way of getting anywhere without putting in your 30 years. And there, there's also the factor, you know, I have a pretty large family. We're expecting our, our fifth child next month. 
And I knew if I was going to support a family of that size, um, it's, it, that's just tough to do on a government salary. Uh, yeah, I, I get it. I, I know, I understand the attraction and the allure. I thought about going into government too at one time when I was laid off from American at that, you know, and the lure was kind of the, the, the security, the job security and everything else. And I got to tell you, I've done a lot of consulting work with the government since I've been out of the Marine Corps and doing this. And it's such a challenge because what I found is that there's um, there's just this kind of embracing of mediocrity. And it's nothing against the people within it. It's just it's, – it's a culture of mediocrity, I think. And um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Again, I don't want to turn this into a government bashing session. but Well, exactly. No, I, that's – I think that's probably what I was trying to say with trying to dance around and be a little diplomatic. But I, I totally agree. I and, and I think you're right. I don't think it's – any individual person it's just that necessarily it's so big. that causes that. It's, it's the it's the it's the whole system is just too big. It's too bureaucratic, right? And yeah, and and there's too you know it's it's that too big to fail mentality. They all know that that they're going to have a job. They don't have the pressure of trying to turn a profit to kind of motivate them. But I don't know. There there are tons of fantastic people oh, yeah, working sure. in government, and I. I admire a lot of the work that they do, but with a lot of great intentions, you're right. And it just it, for the same reasons. It just wasn't for me. I, I needed to be around a little more um, spontaneity, spontaneity, and the the fact that if um, I, I wanted faster paths towards performance and object, objectives, and it just seemed like it was a plod. You know what I mean? Like a slow yep. plod. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, totally get it. Very cool. So, I, well, I'm I'm curious too. Before we start talking about your role as a president here. Living in Jordan for four months. What was what year was that, and what was that like? That was in two thousand nine. Um, it was awesome. Oh, just an incredible experience. Uh, you know, as it was part of my um, undergraduate studies, studying the Middle East, studying Arabic. Um, so I got to go there and really just immerse myself in Jordanian culture and in, in my Arabic study. Um, I had just gotten married the year before, so my wife and I, my wife joined me, and she, we actually celebrated our first anniversary in Jordan. Wow. Um, and just an amazing cultural experience. You know, when you visit somewhere as a tourist, you see some cool things, but you, you don't really get a good feel for what the people are really like or what the country's really like. But when you live there for a while, um, you know, we were able to go to church there and, and just make friends and interact with people in their everyday lives. It was just awesome to to be part of a culture that is so completely different from ours. You know, I lived two years in Sweden, but Sweden in so many ways is, is just a lot like America. So it wasn't kind of a full foreign experience, but Jordan was definitely a full foreign experience. And there were definitely parts of it that weren't as fun. You know, there's water rationing there. So you, you had to, you know, limit your showers and, 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 uh, just be really careful with your water. And we had bed bugs. Oh, so yeah. there, there <laughs> were definitely reasons that, <laughs> that we were happy to go home, but man, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. I have such fond memories of, I, of my time there. I had a friend that was from Amman, Jordan that I'd, um, met in the Marine Corps mm-hmm. and he really educated me a lot about Amman and the history of it. And I mean, I mean civilization is, is like a bedrock there, right? I mean, you got, yeah, it's, Roman it's amazing. History. I mean, there's just so much history there. I would, I'd love yeah. to visit. Yeah, uh, I would love to go back someday. But yeah, you have, you know, downtown Amman is this just sprawl of kind of, you know, Middle Eastern, Third World 
second world buildings, but then right in the middle of the city are just a bunch of Roman ruins. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a pretty awesome place. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's really cool. I mean, and, and again, anytime that you can live anywhere other than here and get that perspective, it just kind of shows you, even though we're different, how similar we all are. I know that sounds cliche, but I know that the more that I've traveled around it, it number two things it helped me appreciate where we live that much more. Right. And, yeah, for sure. And, but at the same time, getting what your perceptions of what other places are like, just based on your 60 inch plasma in your living room is not sufficient. Right. right? I mean, you have to really go experience something else to really get a full and, and, and two, you get an idea is like, wow, our stuff isn't really all that important to a lot of people here. You know what I mean? I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. I think the biggest revelation to me was, holy cow, there are billions of people in the world that not only does their life not revolve around America, they don't even like America. Right. <laughs> it was yeah. just such a shock to me as a young person. Yeah. No, and that, that's what I've noticed too. You know, it's like some in here, we get this sense that everything is, everybody's kind of looking at us and the world revolves around us. And, I mean, yep. I suppose on a geopolitical sense, it kind of does, but from an individual basis level, it really doesn't. You know what I mean? Yep. No, yeah. I totally agree. Anyway. Well, that just, I mean, those experiences, I mean, you're chalking them up and you're, you're walking around a business and you're traveling the world, you learn a different language, experience a different culture, and you're trying to find your way and you, and you somehow, you like I said, you're just like, God, this, this isn't working. And you connect with this friend and, and they somehow you end up in, in Missouri. And so... At this whole time, as you get thrust in, when you, when you was this the company that you're at now? Is that employer advantage? Is that where you've been ever since? Yep. So, yep, what did you come in been. as when you went when you got the employer advantage? So it's interesting. I came in with kind of a, a not very well defined role. I was part corporate counsel, so my you know I handled the legal work for the company, but they didn't have enough legal work for to keep me busy. Um, so I just took on some kind of loose operations roles. He just gave me a team, basically. Um, he actually had me run the accounting team. I don't have any accounting background. So it was, it was a matter of me learning to lean on the accounting expertise of these six accounting folks, but also uh, you know lend my kind of more operational expertise and just my problem-solving expertise to help them operate more efficiently. And then as, as the months and years passed, I was, I was given more and more responsibility and more and more teams until... Um, the end of 2018, uh, Lee, the founder decided it was time to turn the reins fully over to me. Wow. And so how did, this is, I I love stories like this because, um, can I ask how old you are? Like what what age are you right now? I'm 34. Yeah. So you're very young. Sorry, I'm 52. So we're going to 52 and I wish I was 34 again, but anyway, I love, I know what it's like to be in um, that role that you ran in the thirties. And, and I don't know if it's, I'm curious for you, is it, was it, uh, intentional? Um, was it an intentional choice of yours to try to, I'm going to be president someday, or were you just kind of pouring your life into the business and it just kind of happened or somewhere in between? Uh, very much the latter. You know, I never, even though I, I felt like I wanted to go into business coming out of law school, I never, really had any ambition to become a CEO and, and really never imagined that it would happen. I just, I, I, I don't know. This just was, wasn't on my roadmap. Yeah. Um, I, and when I came to employer advantage, you know, I, I had leadership experience in some of my uh, just previous experiences, but I had never been a business manager. And right. so frankly, I had no idea, even though I'm a confident person, I had no idea 
if I could do it or how good I would be at it. Um, and so I came in very much just ready to learn and ready to try to figure it out. And, uh, and I, I think I did certainly, I made a lot of mistakes early on, especially in terms of, um, just office politics and being aware of, of how things would be, um, understood and interpreted by other people. But, and I was, I was very self-conscious, you know, I was 28 when I got here, um, and everyone else on the executive team, I think the, the average age of our executive team was like 65. Right. Um, so I was, I was super self-conscious early on about my age and lack of experience, but you know, once you dig in and you get to know people and, and they come to um, kind of respect you for your abilities, uh, that kind of goes away. And um, you know, after a while, I just, it grows beyond respect and turns into friendship and love. And, uh, and so at this point I just work with a, a group of people that I absolutely love. And I think they, they respect and, and love me. And, um, and I've learned so many great things and just kind of developed into, um, into the leader I am today, I guess. No, I love that answer. And I was hoping that you would say when I said, was it, was it intentional ambition or was it more of kind of, Hey, I just kind of dug in and starting adding value and it kind of happened. I sense that's what, what the case was. And I'm glad that you said that. And then I love how you said, because I'm, trying to picture, you know, it's, it's a classic example of someone that that's your age and you're thrust into kind of this leadership role. And I'm sure you went through and maybe you still do it now. I mean, uh, I know every, I do and every leader I've talked to on this show, um, you know, imposter syndrome is real, right? And it's like, yeah, for if, sure. if people just realized how screwed up I am, they wouldn't put me in this role, right? I mean, that happens to the best of us. And I'm sure that happened to you as well. And it probably still does on some levels. Yeah, no, it still happens to me often. I mean, the shift, you know, by the time I became president, my role beforehand had been a pretty key role in the company. I was in charge of most of the operations of the company. And so I felt like, you know, I was just a step away from CEO. I'd been handling so much responsibility. I didn't feel like the transition to president and CEO was actually going to be that big of a deal. Yeah. But I was I was shocked uh, when I actually took on that that mantle at how different the responsibility felt. Suddenly everything's on me. And, and I realized I, I know how to be somebody that just gets stuff done, but CEO is kind of a different role. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much more of a kind of an enabler role and strategic role. And so I'm very much still learning how to be a good president and CEO. Yeah. Um, I don't so think- I, I've, I fight the imposter syndrome every day. I'm sure. sure. Well, and, and that, if it's any consolation, I think that's normal, right? And I, I don't even – I've had Steve Forbes on this show, and he said he still struggles with the imposter syndrome now. And so take you know take um, comfort in knowing that you're not alone in that, right? Yeah, that's, so, that's good to know. And so – but I, you said something critical a little while ago is that you know you just – you dug in and you wanted to learn as much as you can. I'm paraphrasing what you said, but – it's that humble, teachable spirit. I think is 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 key. I think I talk about it exclusively on this show. That I think that is a necessary component to the type of leadership that's needed in organizations today. And <clears throat> all the great leaders have that right. They understand that it's not about them and their magnanimous personality, right? <laughs> Whatever that is. It's more about, like you said, like where can I add value? Where can I dig in? Where can I learn? And I think as you're fully living now that it's just a lifetime of learning, right? You never stop learning. Yeah. I think if you, 
if I heard you say you were planting your flag and say, yes, I've arrived and I've got the corner office and I'm the right man for it and I deserve it, I kind of stay away from those. I <laughs> stand back because that person's going to fall sooner or later, right? That's how I see it. What are your no, thoughts? I, I totally agree. And I, and I think that's a turnoff for the people you're trying to lead. I, I Absolutely. Think- I think the people I work with appreciate that I'm always asking questions. I'm not afraid of looking stupid and, and that, I mean, I mess up all the time and, and they're, they know that I'm not afraid to admit that I messed up. And, and I think that just goes such a long way in helping people trust you. Absolutely. I love that you said it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you nailed it. I mean, I think that people don't realize how much confidence that takes. Uh, the, the moment you stop worrying about what other people think or looking silly or making mistakes. I mean, your life is totally transformed. I, I think that's key, right? And particularly when you're in your role, you can't be afraid of, you know, the mistakes. What does it even mean to make, I mean, that's, in fact, when they see you make a mistake and how you respond to it is probably the biggest um, opportunity for culture building trust and all the kind of positive things that you want in an organization, right? They see you like, man, I really gooned that up, Right. And how you yep. respond to it is is key. Now, that got me excited when you said that. Yeah. I don't know. I think the other thing you said there, too, that I really appreciate and I think that probably is leading to your success is um, you spend a lot of time intentionally trying to earn their respect and trust. There's nothing more challenging than uh, a fresh, new face kid coming into a seasoned organization. And that pressure is immense, right? And sometimes... You, you go one of two ways. You can try to throw your positional authority around and try to pretend to be something that you're not, but you went the other way, it sounded like, and said, I'm just going to devote the time and, and pour love into these people and earn their, their trust and respect over time, and that's the only way to do it. And that's how I see it. Yeah, I mean, that, that's certainly what I tried to do. Now, I, you know, I'll be honest, Not I don't think everybody loved me or everybody no. loves me right now. That um, would be That would be crazy, right? But, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but... No, that, that's just, uh, but I, I think generally, um, generally I succeeded pretty well in, in, in just fitting in. Well, and it never stops, right? I mean, it's a thing you got to work on constantly every single day, right? And yep. so, well, what does employer advantage do? I mean, what is, I mean, it, it looks like it's, it, it's fine, primarily focused around, from my understanding, human resource type functions. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. So I, you know, nobody goes into business wanting to deal with employees or or worry about HR regulations. You know, people go into business because they want to you know, build a widget or because they have they're particularly talented at something and they they want to use that talent. Um, so we we found that what a lot of business owners discover as they start to grow their business is is they're not being able to spend the time on what they actually went into business to do. Instead, as they bring on employees, they're suddenly having to worry about payroll and and handbooks and making sure they do everything right and complying with FLSA and just all the, the alphabet soup of government regulations that are out there related to their employees. Um, and so what we do is, is we try to take that back off their plate. We say, hey, you don't worry about all this stuff. We'll worry about all this stuff. We'll keep you in compliance. Um, we'll take care of all this transactional stuff. You focus on the strategic stuff. You focus on growing, on, growing your business. You focus on doing what you got into business to do. Uh, and that that's the basic philosophy, based the, the value proposition that we give. So there's a ton of things that we can do for companies, but the, the thrust is that 
we want to free you up to do what you really want to do. I love that. And I got to tell you, I, for the four organizations that I've worked in, in the corporate arena for the last 16 years, and for the half dozen that I've personally coached in and consulted in, the human resource side, it, it just drives me crazy. And I would always steer these people because every organization that I've worked in and the ones that I've coached, they were bogged down on the compliance side of HR. And you, and you talk to the vast majority of the folks that are working in HR, they got into HR because they wanted to do the fun stuff of HR, which is developing human resource, the leadership side of it, right? And doing all that exactly. kind of stuff. And then they find themselves like, this job sucks because I'm, you know, buried in, you know, compliance and compensation stuff and safety training and safety manuals and timekeeping and, and all the benefits and the recruiting and all that. And, and that's a necessary component of HR, but man, wouldn't it be great if someone like Employer Advantage can do kind of the dirty work of HR, the stuff that isn't so sexy? And that- yeah, that's that's exactly right. Because so even if even if our clients have an HR person in place, you you hit it right on the head. We do the dirty work. We do the transactional stuff that nobody wants to do, so they can focus on the fun stuff. And particularly in companies that are in that kind of 150 to to 200 employee range, you know, they don't have a big HR department. They got one or two people a lot of times and it's almost, it's just too much. And I, and I've, I, every, I'm telling you every organization I've worked in and the ones that I've coached, I've told them, I said, outsource this side of it. And so you can focus on, on the, the, the culture side. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yep. You're, you're doing my sales pitch for me. That's exactly <laughs> right. what we try to convince people. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's great. And I, and I, I know when I worked in organizations, I didn't realize that these kind of places existed, you know, when I was in my thirties and I was cutting my teeth in the corporate arena, I didn't know places like employer advantage existed and, but they did. And, and wow, I just, if I would have been smart enough back then, I could have saved a lot of headaches, right? Because I would just butt heads with HR about, we got to be focusing on this and leadership development is like, I can't because of OSHA, because of this, because of payroll and everything else. And I'm like, man, there's gotta be a better way. Well, sounds like you guys are part of that solution. Yeah, that's what we what we strive to be. So, how do you? How do, like I said, you, when you? Uh, it's always funny when I ask people, "What was your dream?" And like I said, I never invariably everybody says, "I never thought I would be doing this." Right? And so, yep. and I love that part of the journey. But I, I think that it sounds like you're at the at the moment and the time in your life. It's it's a good fit for you, right? Yeah, it, it's terrific. You know, my my number one priority in my life is my family, and that's part of the reason we kind of fled to the Midwest from the the East Coast was so that I just had a, a lifestyle that that fits that priority better. Yeah. Um, but so we're we're just thrilled here. You know, I have a ten minute commute. Um, I have a job that I love. I have tons of freedom to to kind of pursue my passions here at work and, and I work with great people. I, I just feel like I couldn't possibly be in a better spot than I am right now. I love it. I love the fact too, that you're realizing that it's, it's in every aspect of your life, right? You've got to be the good father. You got to be the good husband. You got to be, you know, the best CEO that you can be. And that's challenging, right? And I don't like the word work-life balance to me. I think it's all about prioritization. You know what I mean? I think work-life balance is a myth because sometimes the work, demands more priority. Sometimes your family demands more priority is the top priority, right? I don't know. What, how does that, how does that resonate with you? Yeah, I, th I think that's true. Cause I, I think there's certainly still weeks that I, you know, work long hours because we have a board meeting coming up or because there's just a crisis happening. And so it's not like 
it's not like I put in my 40 and clock out and, and go home every day. Um, but at the same time, uh, I, I am not working 80 hours every week, uh, like <laughs> I was when I was at the law firm. Right. And, uh, and so it's just adjusting, but my, my family understands that I have the flexibility that when they need me to be there, you know, we're having a baby next month, Congrats. I will be spending a lot more time at home, uh, after we have that baby than, than I am right now, because that's when, when my wife and my newborn baby need to be the priority. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of the special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest growing banks by working side by side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. What, how would you define your culture? How do you want the culture to be? What do you want the legacy to be from your tenure, I guess, from a values, mission, vision, value standpoint? What is what is real important to you? Yeah, so when when I took over, um, you know, the company already had a solid culture in place just because of the, the kind of person that the founder was and the kind of people that he'd brought in. But I wanted to be very intentional about the culture we were trying to create. I want to make sure everybody understood this. These are exactly what the expectations are. This is exactly how we want to be behaving, what we want to be striving for. And so we came up with, with five core corporate values. Um, and so those values are number one is kindness. Number two is honesty and integrity. Number three is exceptional and proactive service. Number four is accountability. And number five is continuous improvement. So, a lot of those, you know, that they're kind of typical things you would see as corporate values. The one that, that I feel like maybe makes this a little bit unique is that first value, that kindness. Um, I, I just feel like I, I want to be leading a company where people enjoy being around each other, where our, our clients enjoy working with us because we're just nice people. And I feel like if we can create an environment where people enjoy coming to work because they know the people around them are going to treat them well and treat them with respect and kindness and that's naturally going to lead to better performance and it's going to lead to better service for our clients. And, and I also feel like, you know, I've been thrust into this role as, as president and CEO. When I think about what I really get satisfaction out of, what I get satisfaction out of is, is making my employees day, uh, you know, writing someone a nice note that just builds them up um, or helping people realize their potential. That's what, what I get a thrill out of. And so we've really pushed and tried to, create this environment of kindness where we don't have the typical office backbiting or, or, or rumor mill. Um, and it's been, you know, obviously we're not perfect at it. Um, 
Well, because we're human you know, beings, right? You know, yeah, every, everybody's human. But it's been really interesting to see. You know, I've been uh, at the helm for about a year and a half. We had some people when I took over that clearly didn't fit very well with that value. They were kind of negative forces, just kind of sucked the air out of the room around them. Um, those people have have kind of naturally filtered themselves out over the last year and a half, and it's been interesting and and awesome to see actually they just stopped feeling comfortable with their their negative unkind uh you know kind of bully attitudes and they just filtered themselves out and they're no longer with the company um i love it i love the simplicity of it because sometimes i think we make these values too complicated and i love that kindness is the is the number one one i had a great mentor and i never forgot one early on in my corporate arena once i got out of the marine corps and i was cutting my teeth on the corporate side i had a great mentor and he said he, he sat me down on the first day and he said, I only got two rules, two expectations. And he goes, treat everyone with respect, tolerate disrespect from no one. And it's not your job to challenge me, it's your obligation. And I love the simplicity of that. And again, the first one is kind of similar to kindness, right? He was so big about everybody being respectful, right? Everybody being kind and an authentic way, right? And so like, for example, I saw him one time and we were in a, uh, a meeting with a, a bunch of other executives and I was just kind of there as his kind of, um, assistant and it started getting heated and he stayed so calm and, um, guy got up and was kind of ranting and raving and losing his temper. And, um, he just got up and left. He said, this meeting's over, you know, and the guy that was ranting and raving was more senior to him. Right. And so yeah. I, I just, and he just got up with the composure he said, I'm sorry, this meeting's done. Until we can be respectful, then we're not having a meeting. And he walked out. And it was just so powerful. It just stunned the room to silence, right? And the guy that was ranting and raving kind of was known for ranting and raving, you know, and no one would ever do anything. Yeah. I just thought it was a a brilliant, courageous thing to do. And so I, I applaud you for using kindness as kind of your number one value. Someone, some people might think it may seem hokey. I don't. I agree with you. I think the the world is full of, you know, we lost this kind of ability to be respectful toward each other, even when we disagree. You know, it's it's a lost art. I think. I, I think you're right. I think there's so much contempt out there right now, especially in the political arena, that yeah, people feel like if if someone disagrees with me kind of I, I can't like them and I can't <laughs> right. I can't even talk to them and that I think that's just dangerous for it's our society dangerous. yeah we've lost it some I don't know how we've lost it over these these decades but we have we have lost it right I mean to the point to where family members don't even talk to each other yeah but yeah no I applaud you for that that's very good and um oh you said something else and I was writing a note down and I got I'll think of it it was something else you said there about kindness that I thought was really Really good. Oh, the writing the notes and stuff like that, you know, the small little, and I love that too, that I do think that is a primary role of a CEO president. It's kind of the, you know, you don't wait for the annual awards banquet and to give somebody some, you know, glass plaque tchotchke to tell them how good they right. did, you know, a little post-it note or a little just thank you or a personal just in, in phone call, face-to-face, post-it note, something that is authentic and personal goes a long way. And so I, I love how you're intentional about that. So anyway, that was the thing that I almost forgot about. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. The power of a sincere compliment. Yes. Um, 
I one of the things we do, it's a little tradition here. Uh, so we have an all hands meeting every month where we get all of our employees together. Um, and we always end with some sort of little activity, but the February all hands meeting, you know, it's around Valentine's day. Instead of being, instead of writing each other Valentine's, we just give everybody a bunch of cards and we have people write nice notes to each other. Um, just, just something nice about one of their colleagues. And we, we orchestrate it so that everybody gets at least one, but it is amazing. You know, when I get nice notes like that, even though, you know, I'm on top, I should be already feel pretty good about myself it's amazing what a difference it makes in my day Absolutely. to just have somebody compliment me. And so I, I just always try to remember how that makes me feel and just encourage our folks to, to be doing that as much as possible to each other. I love that. I mean, I'm, I, a handful of times I can remember in my Marine Corps career in corporate, you know, I'm one time when I was corporate and the CEO, I came back to my uh, office and there was a little post-it note on my monitor and I said, Hey Rich, I'm sorry. I, had, I, I looked for you, but you weren't here. I'm heading off to the airport. Just wanted to personally thank you for, um, you know, getting this done and your effort behind this and blah, blah. you know, he's thanking me for this project I was working on. And that personal note meant more to me than anything else. You know what I mean? And yeah, uh, yeah. Cool it's stuff. Crazy. Well, what's what's next for employee advantage? I and mean, we've talked about a lot of great things. I love a lot of the, I mean, I can see why, uh, you're successful or you're, you're on your, a great path with a lot of great common sense leadership principles that we talk about here in Dose of Leadership. But what's next for Employer Advantage what, as you're looking down the road the next year or two? Obviously, working our way through this kind of new normal, which I hate that word already, but, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, my the task I was given by the board when, when they handed me the reins was that I was supposed to grow the company. Um, and so that's what we've been trying to figure out over the last year and a half is how do we get the company to the next level? And, and, uh, you know, that's involved making sure I, I get the right team in place that, that we're surrounded by people that I, I think understand what it takes to get to the next level and, and, uh, then trying to figure out what it takes to get there. So we've been building out better sales infrastructure and, and, um, and growing our sales team. And then also looking into some acquisitions will be, um, probably doing some of those in the near future and just just trying to go from a, a very much regional company into um, I guess a company that covers a larger region and then eventually a, a national company. Well, that was going to be my question. Like what is your footprint sitting in Joplin, Missouri? I mean, how far is your reach right now? Well, we have clients in 35 states or so, and we, we serve employees in over 40 states. So we, we have a national presence, but um, our, our, you know, 90% of our clients are probably uh, within Missouri, Kansas, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. So we're still very much a regional company at this point in terms of our core client base. Uh, but, you know, especially with the way technology is being developed, um, it's just easier and easier to do this job remotely. Although one of our defining characteristics as a company is is how high touch our service is. And so we're trying to figure out a way to maintain that, that high touch first name basis kind of service, sure, but scale it um, in a way that we can, you know, do this for anybody anywhere. Yeah. I think that's, that has to be part of the equation, right? You're not just some look at all our technology and our great software solutions is going to help you. You've got to, you've got to have that, that human aspect to it. I don't know how that, that to me, I guess would be probably your biggest challenge as you scale. 
or one of yeah, the challenges. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's tons of companies out there, whether they're the, the pure tech plays like Bamboo HR, things like that, that have some great technology and can give you great tools to manage your HR. Um, and there's a lot of really small companies out there that can give you great service, but don't necessarily have the resources to invest in the technology. And so we, we feel like we're in in the sweet spot where we we have enough resources that we have great technology to offer, but we also have an amazing group of you know seventy people to back up that technology and and hold your hand and and do the job for you. You know, we're not just giving you tools to help you do it yourself better. We're we're doing it for you. Yeah, and I think that's a sweet spot to be in. To be quite honest, I mean, again, and bamboo hr is kind of your competition but you're different right and and i don't think the goal should be to be like bamboo hr because you're right if you get that way then you're going to miss the human touch and bamboo hr is great and this and that but even then right when you when you get bamboo hr and stuff like that into your business it's i don't know i mean i've worked for a couple companies that had that and they were still struggling with kind of that that it, it didn't free them like i think they thought it would you know, does that make sense? I mean, they yeah, still no, didn't have I, the freedom that I think they were they were originally thought they were going to get. And and I think those software players plays are a great fit for some yeah, people. I agree. If they if they want to do it themselves and they just need the right tools, then I think that can be a terrific option. But if they're truly looking to offload it and free up that time, then then I think you need to go with something like us. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a sweet spot to be in, right? I think it's I, I think it's a great selling feature. And I think more people want it, want that human interaction more than not. I think, I think there's a huge missed opportunity. I'm starting to see some organization do it. I know this isn't necessarily HR, but just even the, the mere fact of when you call an organization, you don't have to go through a stupid phone tree for five minutes to get to the right. And yeah. I think, I think those companies that are moving away from that and finding ways to kind of get back to like it was, where you're talking to human voice instantaneously, I think that that's a, a great play. And um, again, yeah, that's. That's the balance you have to strike, right? Because if you're trying to scale an organization, it's it's expensive to have somebody available to answer the phone all the time, um, and so you have to you have to decide where to give and where to take on on those you know scalable processes versus keeping the human touch. Yeah, it's, well, that's why they pay you the big bucks, my friend. That's why you're in the role. You need to figure those things out, right? You know, we're still we're still trying to figure it out, <laughs> right? Well, this has been fun, man. How can people get in touch with you and learn more about Employer Advantage? Uh, you know, you can come to our website, employeradvantage.com. We're always happy to talk to folks. Um, plenty of contact information on there. We also have a uh, great COVID-19 resources site. So obviously, this has been a super challenging time for business owners trying to figure out what they can do with their employees, trying to figure out how to take advantage of the government stimulus money. Um, so we have a great resource site that folks can use, you know, it's totally free to everyone has some great free webinars on there and that's, uh, eacovid19help.com, um, that they can go to, they can also get there from our, our just employeradvantage.com website. Um, but yeah, we are always happy to talk to folks, you know, the, we, the kicks that we get are serving people and, and helping them meet their business dreams. And so we're always happy to meet new people and talk to them and, and we, will not try to make our service fit you if it's not a good fit. Our sales team is trained to say no early and to figure out early if this is really going to be a viable option for folks. Yeah. So we're pretty, pretty low pressure um, sales team. Well, I love it. I think any 
organization out there that is struggling with the compliance side of HR, you got to outsource it. So I think I, I, I'd hope they check you guys out. I am a big proponent of that. Uh, uh, the huge challenges I've had in the corporate arena always focused around the HR compliance side. And if somebody can do the dirty work and uh, it's pretty cost effective, you might as well do it because it frees up your in-house HR folks to do the fun side of HR. You know, let Jared Young and his guys do the dirty work. That's how I see it. That's couldn't have said it better myself. All right, I'll look for the uh, commission check in the mail. Oh wait, was I supposed to say? That? No, just, kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I love it, man. I love what you're doing, and I love your leadership philosophy. I think uh, you got a great foundation, Jared. And uh, as young as you are, I think uh, only great things are going to happen if, as long as you, you stick to those fundamentals. I, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks. I enjoyed talking to you. Appreciate right. your time. All right, man. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dosa Leadership brings to your world. Go to dosaleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.